Hey guys, it's Patrick Rivera here out in Bangkok, Thailand at the Sheraton Grand Sukhumvit here with Karen uh, Walsh. Nailed it. From Canberra, Australia. Canberra. Uh, he owns Moi University uh, and he's very, very active in the Muay Thai scene in Australia as well as internationally. And off right across from me, you've got Mr. Matt Lucas, um, social media Muay Thai influencer, Fairtex. Um, Fairtex Public Relations Director. Public Relations Director and uh, just all around good guy. Uh, we're coming at you here because I want to talk about a couple things, um, uh, um, particularly the state of Muay Thai in Australia uh, and how it differs from the state of Muay Thai in the United States. Um, and I think those are really, really important topics because as we grow and expand and scale, especially in the United States, it's always good to learn about how other being other other countries are, are, are organizing and structuring their events and um, uh, 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 Muay Thai uh, as established in Australia. So, without further ado, we're just going to go ahead and move on. I'm probably going to chop this one out, you know, this this portion out. But uh, do you want to go ahead and start? Yeah. I, well, I think there's a couple interesting things to talk about in terms of. Uh, Muay Thai internationally in Thailand versus the US. Obviously, I'm sort of a middle person here based in Thailand and Australia has a huge influence um, on the sport out here because of the closeness. Uh, as Kieran will attest to, there's been a lot of Australians that have come out here long term. Uh, Don Miller, um, Darren Riddler-Reese, of course, John Wayne Parr. Most Australians have come over for extended periods of time. Kieran, you've done like six plus months at a time and you are out here now every you know, three to four months, correct? Yeah, I think the, the, the beauty of being close to Thailand, especially through, I mean, I, I, I would come at, in, in six week intervals sometimes because it's easy, it, it's so easy to travel, it's nine hours, but now we're in a position whereby there are, are a lot of gyms that have upwards of two, three, or even four trainers. SRG in Sydney is a great example of that, and it's all, and it's it's very much the case of the talent and the skill and the depth of what we have nationally and locally means that for a lot of fighters they don't even have to train or tra travel to Thailand mm -hmm. to have that experience. And Matt, that's something that you and I have spoken of before, whereby we've had that culture through the 90s and 2000s and, and the 10s where everyone was coming over to Thailand, trainers were coming uh, to Australia, and now you can really see it in the skill level and the knowledge level across the gyms and the trainers. Even at an amateur level, watching amateur fights now, uh, I had my first fight in like 2006 maybe, 2005, and I look at some of the amateurs now, one or two or three fight amateurs, and I think, I'm so glad there wasn't this skill level back then, because I would have been bashed, like quite frankly. So it's, yeah, the, the, the depth and the level that we have now is incredible because of that. I think this is something Patrick will attest to, but the amount of Thai trainers in the States is not nearly as much as one mm. city in Australia. Like, you have the Fairtex guys, Jokseram, Daniel Bunkert, and a handful of other ties, but, and that's in the entire country. Right, right. You know, and then again, you know, 330 million people are in the United States, and it's just so geographically spread out. Whereas, you know, Australia, you know, that's uh, highly concentrated in Melbourne, uh, Sydney, and Queensland, right? The majority of Muay Thai. Mm -hmm. When the United States, you know, we've got the majority, uh, the, of course, we have Fairtex, the Fairtex lineage in the San Francisco Bay Area. Also, uh, Fairtex, when they were formerly in, in Phoenix. So both have a, a very active scene with good styles. But outside of that, you know, now Consex got his own gym in, in, uh, in, in New Jersey. Uh, so he started to put out guys, um, you know. But other than that, Malapit, Malapit's doing his own thing in, uh, in Central California and Fresno. Um, but uh, but a lot of these guys now become entrepreneurs and business people, mm -hmm. you know, like Consac and, and Malakit, as opposed to trainers. And so, you know, one of the key things, and I've hired Thai trainers before, at least in the United States, and it's been kind of challenging in regards to trying to take care of them, right? So, one, it's harder to get visas for Thai trainers to go to the United States. Mm -hmm. um, but two, how are you guys, how are the gyms out there managing 
uh, the care of them because you know a lot of I hate to sound like that, but it, you know yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's like taking care of a kid. Right? For sure, you know? it's not it's not without its difficulties. I think the gyms that do it the best have multiple trainers. And the way that the visa system works in Australia is it's very easy. Obviously, the cost factor is different to being a, a lot closer than it is to the States. Right. And so it's, it's not hard to just bring a trainer over for three months yep. as a quote-unquote test. Yep. Mm -hmm. And if they work out, they do. And if they don't, they don't. You send them home. Yep. Very much like you could with any other employee, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And so... Whilst there may be an initial upfront cost of having to book a return flight, whatever form they're accommodated in, many trainers will just come out on that provision of only being here for three months. And, and, and luckily, on the flip side of it, we have Aussies based out here in Thailand, guys like Tim Fisher at Revolution, etc., who facilitate trainers coming over to the country. They'll almost act like a middleman of collecting and finding some of these trainers and screening them and saying okay yeah that's good or that's good if for whatever reason you don't have the connection yourself is it getting a finder's fee yeah there's i mean there is a, a business related yeah, sure, component sure. i mean i look at it a, a bit like in australia we would call it a labor hire company like a recruitment firm. Sure. Yeah, yeah, i look at sure. it the same way yeah, and yep. it, obviously it's not mainstream in the thai boxing industry but I do look at it the same way and, and doing something like that does give you that extra level of security of if they don't work out. Yeah. I think it's difficult for the gyms that haven't been a part as much of quote unquote Thai culture and, and learn what the trainers are like and their behaviour and we would call them, I mean I would refer to them as homebodies. Mm -hmm. they, very quickly and easily miss Thailand. Yeah, and oh, like three months being able to know but being able to know and manage those things is important. Sometimes they can get caught out when their gym owners who don't quite understand these little intricate bits. Yeah, right. There's no some time basically. Right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. And the trainers yeah. switch off yeah. and la 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 la. So one of the you know huge headaches that I had when I took stamp for two weeks to the States you know, we're there for three days, our third day there. I'm like, we're in America, I don't want to eat Thai food. You know, third day there, she's like, I want some tum. Some I want some tum. I'm like, bro, I've never seen you eat some tum in Thailand. Some tum, yeah. She's like, some tum, some tum, some tum. And then, you know, of course we go somewhere to get some tum and it's terrible. Yeah. I was mm. like, bro, you know, you see, you. This is not. It's not some time in. in where, where'd you go? Chicago. Uh, no, we were in like San Jose, uh, right outside of Anzkim, and it was like some Chinese, like international, like, oh. Asian food, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we have some tum," and it was, it was super. Bad. It was good time restaurants in San Jose, though. Yeah, but that's yeah, right, right. I mean, I, I well, that's I one of those yeah. things though, mm -hmm. that like the Thais really care about yeah. like, the food, the, right. you know. I think having multiple trainers there helps a lot. And Australia is quite, I mean, Australia was built on being a multicultural country and cities like Sydney and Melbourne especially, you take Sydney for example and you go to Thai town and there are Thais everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, they're not that far removed from home in respect of if they, they, they have plenty of Thais around them. A, pl a place like where I'm from, Canberra, obviously the community is going to be much small. It's made up more so of um, Lao and Cambodia, you know, you go to the temple, like my local temple and they're Lao or Cambodian and you know, they're all a bit of a mix, but some of the bigger cities like Sydney has Thai town, which is great. Um, you can go there on a Friday and Saturday night and it's just pumping full of Thais. You go to Melbourne, Melbourne recently just had a really big, oh, they're about to have a big Thai music festival. Like there's a big community there as well. So at the very least, at least there's that there too. Yeah, that's a huge advantage uh, for you guys, you know, just being so close to, to Thailand. That makes total sense. I mean, I mean again, I, we talked about it. It's like like uh, Brazilians, you know, mm -hmm. Jiu-Jitsu in, in the United States. It's so easy for for, for, uh, for us to get on that, uh, mm. uh, to Brazil. To Brazil. And, and vice versa. It's interesting that Brazilians are easily get visas. I mean, like, I, I, can't, I don't know why it's so hard to get visas for being in Thailand. Yeah. Um, mm. Um, one thing that I, I'm interested in 
Patrick, I guess, is, you know, looking at Australia and what's come out of it, what do you think Americans can learn from the Australian Muay Thai scene? And vice versa, I'd want to ask Kieran, what do you think, you know, Australia can learn from the American Muay Thai scene? So I think that, um, I think the big thing is, is just kind of looking at the, the infrastructure on, on, on close, you know, like, with the United States, we have this massive amateur, just because of the way that uh, sanctioning bodies are, and just because of the, uh, uh, or the commissions, the state commissions are, and the various sanctioning bodies, and all these different moving pieces, it's just, uh, uh, it's really hard to create a really solid pro scene. Right? It's very, very hard to, to keep uh, fighters active. And what we're seeing is, you know, like in Australia and uh, the UK, is you guys have a, you know, kind of the opposite. You guys have a huge pro scene, but a very, very small uh, amateur scene. And one of the things that we talked about is, you know, how much uh, pros in the United States are asking for versus how much, what the expectation is for uh, pros in, in Australia. How much is a starting pro making? In Australia? Yeah. I mean, it can be nothing. It can be $100 around, <laughs> yeah. 100 bucks, as we would say. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, I mean, even the top purses are not what you would consider quote unquote good money. Right, right. And then that's the interesting thing is whereas everyone over there, now tell me about your amateur scene before I get into that. Um, tell, tell us about your amateur scene. Is, it, is there an amateur scene? I think the difference when we speak of amateur Muay Thai versus the States, and I've been lucky enough now to go over to the States a few times, what I've noticed is in Australia, you are an amateur for one year, two years. Like you're, you are not an amateur for long and then you turn quote unquote pro. But for a long time, and I mean ever, ever, ever since I started training 20 odd years ago, there never really has been, it was hard to draw the line between amateur and pro. Mm -hmm. You take boxing, for example, it's very easy to draw very, a line. Easy, but yeah. for a long time in Muay Thai, it's like, well, how do we decide who's an amateur and who's a pro? The certain states and certain government, much like in the states, started to uh, take control of combat sports, boxing, MMA, etc. And then it was state by state a definition of amateur or pro. But still, it's 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 very loose of respect of what we might consider a pro you may or may not it's a little bit confusing but for us you are you're only in quote-unquote amateur really for one or two years to take some of my guys for example I would typically envision them being a pro after about a year once from from when they have their first amateur fight and that might be five or six fights maybe we don't have what you have like smokers and we, we sort of do but not really those smokers and those sort of tournaments don't really exist right. the closest we have is uh, tournaments that can closely replicate IFMA like a, the, the nationals and the like but they're not they're maybe once a year okay. outside of that they don't really exist either mm -hmm. and so what we would consider pro is just when all the pads come off so amateur then is with pads Yes and no, it depends <laughs> where you are. This is where it starts to get difficult, right? But we would consider amateur if you have pads, sure. There's people like Andrew Parnham in New South Wales who are starting to create a bit of a, 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 a more clearly defined system between amateur and pro, like a C, a B and an A class, yeah. Yeah. which is gonna work really well. But you might take a place like Victoria, whereby every, Prior to the creation of what they call Muay Thai Victoria, which was an amateur competition, even still guys might only do that for a year. Prior to that, everyone for their first fight would just register as a pro mm. with the government. They don't even register as an amateur, they register straight as a pro. Mm. They just fight with eight or 10 ounce gloves, that's it. Mm. And in Queensland, you can do whatever you want because there's no <laughs> rules. <laughs> it's, it's cowboy land. Yeah, it's but so run, yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't have long quote unquote amateur careers. Yeah because it's not necessary and honestly you see the skill level of the people that we have in Australia and, and Matt can attest yeah, yeah, to it. he's come out and he's watched what you might consider like a lower level show like a yeah, Roots or something they're good, they're good. Yeah, they're Aussies, good. Are, Aussies are good at Muay Thai yeah. and so they're like it would be like max Muay Thai level at base probably you know for American standards 
it would be our pro level. Like right. mid, mid high tier pros are about Aussie beginners. And so, why is that? Why why the big difference? Is it because of the trainers? Just because of the uh, ease of uh, travel to get to, to Thailand? I mean, I know a lot of a lot of Americans are traveling more and more. Yeah. You know, uh, to Thailand, but. But, uh, but why? I mean, why the, the difference in level of skill? For, for, for me, it's the trainers yeah. and the gyms. Exactly. They're, they're strong. The trainers know mm-hmm. what they're doing. They, yeah, they sure. are they are just m- many of the many of the Australian Western trainers are as good as their Thai counterparts. Yeah. Yeah. And if 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 not, often better at training fighters because from scratch, right? Mm-hmm. And so they. The, it's just the skill level. Honestly, it's the skill and the quality. Yeah. The, the yeah. other thing that I've noticed with a lot of the Australians is they have more opportunities to fight. Mm. So even like someone like Pinky, um, he chucks in his uh, his fighters, but he has like maybe 12 fights per month, you know, uh, just out of his gym. And then guys like Don Miller have like, you know, four or five guys per month. You know, Darren Riddler-Reese, he has like, 12 guys a month, like, you know, how many athletes yeah, do you have I fighting mean, out more you? I would have upwards of 25 fighters, maybe, and that's, and I'm going to a show every weekend. So I think, like, that number of repetitions mm. is, like, so much and so high. Like, you look at, in the States, you've got maybe one, one or two shows a month with one or two people per show versus... No, it's basically quadruple five times the amount in Australia. We we have issues with promoters in the same state getting into arguments because three of them will put a show on the one weekend sure. in Queensland. You know, sure. that's 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 you see in the United States as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, how much does it cost to run a show in Australia? From, from again, from my going to the states, nowhere near as much. That's so expensive. From what I've heard from you, from what I've heard from Jeff and Zay over at Triumph, and a few of these guys that, that I've spoken to, the government licensing fees and the like is incredibly lower. And I was blown away when I took David over to fight Eddie Abasolo for Triumphant, and. We, I mean, we didn't pay for the medical bills, but I got to see the cost of it, the, the, the requirements of CSAC. That was incredible. I was, the Aussies would be kicking up. At most, we get blood tests. Blood tests and a, and a, and a, a, a doctor, quote unquote, physical check. But, you know, it might be hundred bucks. But. Yeah, when, when I've gone over for rebellion, I've, taken some of the athletes like uh, Yacht IQ and Andy to the doctors with side the promoter and it takes like maybe 30 minutes it's a blood test a quick physical and you're out done yeah. it's like super simple and that's like you know two three days before the event like with CSAC and stuff you have to have your paperwork done ages before mm. so there's got to be a way especially for your delegation with WPC Moonside you gotta figure out a way to help streamline that process. That's interesting. Okay, mm. that's what prevents a lot of people just those those additional costs, mm. and that's what a lot of people don't want. But a lot of people, I think, that you you'll see just these really protracted amateur careers. You know, mm-hmm. even like Yannette, you know, she's now number one at one hundred five in the USA, but she's still an amateur. She's yeah. got like twenty one fights. That's yeah. not including the smokers. I mean, you know, like I remember when uh, when uh, Gaston fought Pumpet, you know, online fights back in the day. And, and uh, and and, and Karen, uh, the CSA would say, oh yeah, uh, uh, Gaston only has you know three fights before yeah. he goes pro fights uh, uh, versus Pumpet who has 150 fights or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but, but of course he didn't take into account that he's course. got 30 amateurs yeah. Yeah. and he's got 30 smokers. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he's he's got 62 fights. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. At the end of the day, so it's interesting. I think it's it's the way that we categorize things. I actually like, <clears throat> it, it, I remember uh, Pete Peterson, he, he, uh, he's our head official for WBC Muay Thai USA. Uh, he also runs um, the, the, the TBAs, Thai Boxing Association Tournament, the largest tournament in North America. He, um, you know, when, when he heard that, that USA Muay Thai got RSO, um, recognized sports 
whatever organization. Yeah, officiating or something like that. And so I think his his concern was, you know, as they're on the on the on the on the path to get NGB national governing body, would that affect his tournament? Would that affect you know whatever? And I said, you know, what did I say? I said, you know, it shouldn't, but if it does, then we'll just turn everything pro. Yeah. Yeah. If there's any confusion, we'll just turn everything pro and then establish. A C class, a D class, and an yeah. A class pro. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, this, yeah. you know it just seems like what other countries are doing, and you just confirmed that, so I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Uh, I guess going back to one of my earlier questions, Kieran, because you have uh, gone to states more, what do you think you and Australia can learn from the, the Americans? Yeah. Because I do think that America is doing some things right. Yeah. Some things obviously need improvement, but that's an easy one. Yeah. Uh, it, it it's the I mean, but it's nothing different to what the States does with any other sport. Participation you could use for, I, I'm not sure of the term, but I think it's just the, the, the advertising, the promotion, the branding, the, that, the nous behind building a sport like that is what I see as what the States does well. And so that might be at a, at, a, at a gym level, that might be at an athlete level from their personal branding, it might be a few of those things. Some, some Aussie or many Aussie fighters are still a little bit reluctant to increase their personal brand and on the flip side it's something that I see that people in the States do quite well um, and, and is something that the States does, it, realistically it's for any sport. Yeah. It's that sort of hurrah. Well, I think that's interesting because, you know, one of my first exposures to Muay Thai was through, uh, what was it, International Kickboxing yeah. Magazine, yeah. which was headed, which was brought out in Australia by um, uh, Chevello and uh, Hammer. Mark, Mark Cassanini, yeah. Yes. And like that, you know, I think those guys really pushed the sport. They were great, man. I've um, still got them on the table at the yeah, gym. Yeah, we got a whole yeah. stack of them. So it's interesting yeah. that you say that. I also feel like, you know, I feel like there's a few bright lights in America, but I still feel like the majority of athletes are not doing it. You know, there's, yes, there's like Eddie Abasolo and Jackie Boonton, but they're, you know, in the same way, there's, you know, Gabriella out of your gym. Uh, you know, some other more famous, John Wayne Parr, you know, Jazzy, maybe Rocky Ogden. But like, you know, I don't think the majority of athletes in other, in both countries are doing that much. I think that that part of the American culture will be quicker to improve than the Australians will though. Mm. So that's the part where it's different. It's not whether or not it's established. Mm -hmm. For me, it's the rate at which they will be able to do it Um. because of the culture of how I see Americans go about just sport in general and the promotion of sport in general. It's not necessarily are they there yet, but the speed at which they can get there and they can develop and grow that part that's what I see as the, as, as the main thing. And you couple that with what I see with things like what you're doing, Patton, with youth participation, when you take those two sort of things and you look 10 or 15 years down the road, you see a huge opportunity. But with that, as a note to anyone who is watching this that is in the States, is an absolute need to make sure that you can handle that by having the appropriate skill Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and in my opinion that means for a number of leading people in the states because i don't think the skill level is quite there yet to come here to come to thailand yeah yeah yeah. more so and spend more time here or export the people like Walkiao yeah, out yeah, of Phuket yeah, Fight Club. Or you've got guys like uh, TJ the Thinking Man, you've yeah, got yeah, some yeah. of those guys. Lean on them. Lean on the guys that really have plus send more. Because yeah, yeah, I think yeah. you've got to, if you do look 10 and 15 years in the future, and you are going to have, you could have this huge pool of 
people training and fighting and look at jiu-jitsu in America now, right? It's like everywhere. everywhere. You could have the same with Muay Thai. Yeah, yeah. So, but the difference between the two sports is like you say, how many Brazilians are there in the States versus how many Thais are there in the yeah. States or vice yeah. versa. I think that's the part that needs to be watched carefully though. Yeah, that's a good point. I think going back a little bit, um, what you were saying about the speed in which yeah. uh, you know things are picked up, I actually agree with you because I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, MMA, you know, the, like every MMA fighter knows how to promote themselves. Right. It's yeah. just part of the culture of the sport. The Americans, boom, they're on it. Bang. Yeah, Straight but up. you know, the Australian MMA scene, like I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You know, like I. <laughs> Yeah, if you don't know, then I assume they're culturally they're not doing it. And there's some great promotions in Australia, Hex and a few of these others who do do a good job. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they do it as well as the Americans. Yeah, and I, you know, there's obviously some differences culturally in the sport between MMA and Muay Thai, but it is something we can sort of take a look at as sort of a. Mm. Case study a little bit. Mm. Absolutely. Interesting. Well, now, after living here for seven years and knowing how the scene is in, in, in the United States and how it's evolving, how it's grown just over the last five years, right? And, and talking to guys like Karen and, and traveling back and forth to, to Australia, what, what, what do you see um, that we can do immediately for short term? or long-term results, you know? Short-term action or long-term results. What, what do you see us able to do? Yeah, I, you know, I would totally back up what Kieran was saying. Like, you basically need two things. Uh, you need people coming out short-term, and you need, especially need people coming out long-term. Um, and then you need the long-term people to go, be going back. So it basically needs like, there's a very much established bridges between Thailand and Australia. Sure. That is not the case with America and uh, uh, Thailand. Mm. You know, there needs to be more like highways between the two. So you need people like, say, Jaleel, who's been out here for four years doing well, to be able to go back to Ohio, to his home state, and be teaching the kids there. Uh, you know, even if it's, you know, whatever it is, he goes back, he does a seminar, Okay, that boosts the level dramatically. And then there's like three or four kids that see him doing it and are like, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. And they come over. Um, you know, a lot of, I think there's some level of short-term stays out here, which is good, but without the depth of infrastructure, like as in Australia, there's not gonna be the same understanding. Right. Like if, you know, for, so say, one of Kieran's students comes over here and fights, you know, at Bangla or whatever, Kieran will right away know, oh, this is the level, this is what's going on, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is about the purse size, this is the gym, this type of fight, everything. Whereas, you know, a lot of trainers in the States, oh, you fought at Bangla? Or they think, oh, you fought like a big stadium in Thailand. You're not got a tie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like that yeah. is not, that is not the case. Right. Like it's, right. you know, you maybe kicked the tomato can around or you got beat up by a tuk-tuk driver. Um, so, you know, those short-term stays, while they are very good and it's, I'm not discouraging anyone from it, it doesn't, when you go back home, it doesn't have the same context. Sure. Um, sure. And that's why I think the, especially the long-term stays are very much needed. What do you guys see as what's hurting Muay Thai in the United States? I mean, right now we're on the cusp of exploding. Yeah. And I think that there are certain things that are, you know, maybe some prevalent attitudes, maybe, uh, uh, Call Poppy Syndrome. Okay. I I don't I don't I don't mean this in a uh, a harsh way, but I think some of it is a bastardization of the cultural elements of the sport used for a monetary purpose. Because for me, Thai boxing is 
Thai boxing is a very unique sport in that there aren't very many sports in the world that have culture and sport mixed so closely yeah. mm -hmm. that is a sport that's recognized by many. You obviously have a lot of different sports from different countries and their culture and the sport is intermixed. But Thai boxing is on an international stage. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of elements of culture and sport that are combined. And one thing that I've noticed in traveling a little bit through the US and being exposed to it on social media is just a, a bit of a bastardization of some of the cultural components for like a financial gain or, um, it, it, like I personally, and this is not, I'm not having an attack of anyone, but I personally, I don't like things like a, a, a wearing pudget when you train. It doesn't make sense. Or like, you know, different color pudget for a grading for this, like those sort of things I think hurt, really hurt the sport. And I don't think people realize it because when you are, if you if you if you if you came to Australia and you walked into a, a, a good Thai boxing gym and you were like I'm a brown project in Muay Thai or I'm a level five in Muay Thai or I'm a black belt in Muay Thai or any one of these things they'll look at you like what right 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 and, and it creates for the students it's not their fault they don't know any better mm -hmm. but it does create an unrealistic version of what Thai boxing actually is. Mm. Because even Thai trainers look at it and they go, what are they doing? Right. But I, I, I don't think people realise how much sometimes that can harm the sport. Mm -hmm. Because it does create, at the end of the day, that's not the sport. Mm -hmm. And if you, want to, if, you, if you want to do it for your own gym, you're more than welcome to and that's fine. Whatever system you want to put in, so long as the students have an understanding of the fact that it is only relevant to your gym and yeah, your yeah. system. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, that, doesn't, that's a, but that's that doesn't happen. Yeah. And that's sorry, not that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen enough. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you whatever you want to do in the confines of your own gym, you can project a bell. I don't, I don't like it, but you, it's your gym. You can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. exactly. However, the students have to understand that it's for your yeah, gym, yeah. Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time that's not happening. Mm -hmm. And you'll get, you know, you get people on social media. I'm a this in Muay Thai. I'm a that in Muay Thai. And, Grand, and, Grandmaster Supreme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't, and quite frankly, it can harm the sport because I've seen sometimes guys that are black belts or this or that fight, and I think, oh, yeah. they, they're, they're not, you know, they are not very good. So that, like, that for me, that's a big one for me, um, and I know that won't that might upset a few people, but it's important because these things are necessary for change. And the, I think the main part of that that I want to point out and to reiterate again, is if you want to do it in your own gym, it is your own gym and yeah, you can yeah. do that. You go for gold, but please, there's got to, the, the, the students have to understand. Yeah. And because, because sport and culture is important, preservation of sport and culture is important, and teaching the teaching sport and culture is important too. Mm. All of those things are a part of preservation and keep our sport the way that it is. And it is very important and it does have a carryover to the sport more broadly. Yeah, no, that's good, that's good. Mm. What about you, Matt? What are your thoughts? You know, I, I think this sort of bridges off of what Kieran was saying, but a little bit of a different point. I, I think that there needs to be a lot more infrastructure yeah. So you look at somewhere like Australia, there's a lot more in infrastructure there. There's the Thai trainers, there's an understanding of the cultural elements, uh, there's the frequent trips. That is not the case for America. You know, Americans don't generally travel internationally. Uh, you know, maybe that's changing a little now, uh, but in my experience, they haven't. Um, so we're missing a lot of the cultural and sport elements that you pick up by being here present, you know, present. You know, you have to watch the fights live. Right. You have to, you know, understand what the backroom feels like to be, you know, become a pro-level athlete. You know, you have to sort of understand, okay, this is what fighting in Isan is like. You know, which is a huge, you know, very necessary experience for a lot of Thai fighters. And, you know, you have to go through the experience of 
I drive out three hours to the middle of nowhere, thinking I'm getting a damn fight. Then maybe I get a fight. Maybe I don't get a fight. Maybe my fight switches the spots. Maybe, you know, things happen. Like, maybe I win the fight, but the gamblers influence it, so I lose. Like, you need those experiences make the Thai athletes very resilient. And that is not something that happens in America because they're like, well, I need to know that I have an opponent. I need to know blah, blah, blah right. in order to do this sort and of stuff. And I think that's an important one in that you have to understand and appreciate for the, for the foreigners or for, say, Americans, for example, you have to understand and appreciate that the sport isn't big enough yet that you get to have a eight-week fight camp. Yeah. It's not the UFC yet. It's not MMA. Please don't. Please don't look at what happens with high-level professional athletes in other combat sports and try to apply it to Muay Thai. You have to be willing to be in a position of, in Australia, the, the, the theme of being a fighter is you are always in the gym training and fights just pop up and you take them. Yeah. And I think that's, it, it sort of bounces off, Matt. It's, it's separate to the Isan thing, but the same thought pattern and the same thought process in, you know, stop trying to have an opponent eight weeks match in advance, know their Instagram handle, what their height is. It's not important. It's my, my, my amateur fight, one, two, three, four fights, they don't even know the name of the person. If I don't tell yeah, them, <laughs> they don't need to know. It's not important. What are you going to go do? Search them on Instagram or Facebook? For what? What's the reason? That's not necessary. Right. Yeah, amateurs change skill levels as like... Between fights. Yeah, yeah. Be- be- between fights. So just, just, just be in the gym, always training and fight. You don't need an eight-week fight. You don't need a ten-week fight, Cam. I think that's a really good to bounce off of that. Yeah, yeah, Sorry yeah. to interject yeah, that, but it's, it's, okay. it's along the same theme yeah. of that. Have that same approach. Yeah, when you're a pro, be like a pro. When yeah, you're an yeah, amateur, yeah. just be an amateur. Just, just. Yeah, it's it's really not. You know, a lot of the athletes in America, at least, are not professional. Right. You know, mm. a professional means you have built a livelihood off this sport. I'm a professional in the sport of Muay Thai. You are a professional. You are a professional. The majority of my income and my livelihood comes from the sport. You know, it's a variety of different jobs, you know, working at Fairtex, working at Limpini, doing freelance reporting, but I am a professional in the sport. Mm. You know, you have gyms, you have gyms. A lot of the athletes, however, are not professional. You know, even if you are fighting at a professional level, if your income and your purse size is not covering your daily you know, expenses, it's not like a real thing. You are not a professional. You have a serious hobby that maybe can get you to a professional level, but you know, just in terms of economics, I think, bro, you're not professional. <laughs> and, and, and if you are in the States, and we had this, com- you, you mentioned to me the other day that sometimes a restrictive thing can be purse sizes. Yeah. So guys, if you're in the States and you've only, this is your first or second or third professional fight and you're asking for US two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000, cut it out. Yep. That's not helping yeah. your career. <laughs> yeah. uh, in Muay Thai, I'm sorry, but that's not helping you. It's good. I, I, it's just, just stop it. Don't, <laughs> it's not, I mean, first of all, you, you, you better be making a lot of money for the promoter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But secondly, cut it out. It's not helping. Yeah, yeah. no, this is really good. You know, a lot of things that I also see that are uh, that's preventing the growth, I mean, it goes back to infrastructure, is, you know, it's very hard to, like you said, Karen, earlier, you know, it's, it's, the lines are blurred in the United States and, and how you differentiate what a, you know, somebody that's doing a, a point Muay Thai or a PKB mm-hmm. uh, versus uh, amateur versus uh, pro, you know, and, and and you know, in California, everyone's clamoring for, hey, no shin guards, no headgear at three fights at, at amateur. So how, how do people know and understand what the difference between, you know, what is pro and am, right? And, and for me, personally, that was, that was kind of like my whole thought about being part of USA Muay Thai and WBC was to, to kind of bridge those, those two kind of philosophies. One would be amateur Muay Thai, fully padded. You know, fully padded, get the experience maybe fight 12 times in a year or 10 times in a year you know, with, with a mixture of regular shows and, and tournaments. And then after a year or two, 
take all of them off, and then you fight pro. Right. You know, it could be a C-class pro. And, and that's what we're hoping to do with, with WBC Muay Thai um, you know, in the United States. So yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to work because a lot of people are complaining about headgear. Yeah. You know, something as simple as complaining about headgear. Okay, why, why, why complain about it in the amateur rounds? Just turn pro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or just who cares? Just fight. Just fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just fight. Who cares? Yeah. Right. Not, you're not, you know... Just come on, guys. Yeah. yeah, you're not Michael Jordan, like playing for the, you know, the Bulls for the World Championship. Yeah, just, just, just for your peewee kid. Headgear, no headgear. Yeah. You know, this, that. Your lucky shorts, not your lucky short. It doesn't matter. <laughs> just, just fight. It, when, it's, when you're an amateur, yeah. when you're a pro, yeah, fine. We can have some of those discussions. When you're an amateur, just, just get the experience. The sport's not big enough to act like that. So in shows in Australia, are they, because you know, I mean, we, we talked about this also, like in the United States, they tend to spend a lot of money on production, mm. and it's an amateur show, mm. and, and as such, you know, they, they rarely make any profit, whereas amateur boxing is typically in some of the gym, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they're, they're racking up 200 fights before mm. they go pro. Uh, um, so, how, how is that in, in Australia? I mean, we can have that issue sometimes in certain states, but I've been pretty vocal on podcasts about treat amateurs like amateurs and pros like pros. Stop treating amateurs like pros. Amateurs don't need fireworks and fireworks and a ring walk and music, and it's absolutely not necessary because at the end of the day, they're just an amateur fighter. What you should be doing is sitting in a basketball stadium on a plastic chair watching the fight before you, Thai stadium style, waiting for the MC to call your name with no walkout music and you walk up and you get in the ring and you fight and you get out. And they crank that through in 12 minutes. That, that, that is what is needed. Because at the end of the day, you, you, you have a fight. You're not really a fighter. You just had a fight. If you, if you, you know, you, you don't go and play flag football and say you play for the Patriots. You don't. Yeah. You, 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 you don't, it doesn't work like that. And the same thing, treat amateurs like amateurs and pros like pros. Boxing is a great example. Follow boxing. Yeah. Do it like them. I think, you know, and one of the things that happens when you treat uh, amateurs like professionals is they have a very warped view of their yeah. abilities yeah. the yeah. size of their importance yeah. and everything then they start like thinking things like oh you know the promoter should be giving me this and that yeah. and blah 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 yeah. like you know my coach also should be doing this and that for me right. like I should be pampered because they're being treated like you know high level athletes when really you know you are not. The spectacle yep. is there, but the substance is not mm. Yeah, so true. That really hurts. Uh, that hurts the sport. I think that hurts it a lot. Absolutely. Growth. Yeah. I mean, you know, like it's interesting because uh, there was a big tournament in California just this weekend, and even though uh, certain organizations are bragging about their numbers for their you know, their point system boy time. Um, that within that same sanctioning body organization, they failed to get anybody to do the full contact side. Uh, <laughs> it, it, yeah. It's minimal. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it, crazy. It, it's one of those things to, that it's like bragging about how long you've been around, which has no direct correlation to how good you are. Mm-hmm. Right. And the same thing happens. It doesn't matter what your participation numbers are like if they're all, if, if it's shit. You know, like at the end of the day, those things and, and like. So, let me ask this. So, and this is something I'm, I'm really looking to. I'm, I'm debating on, on, on how to handle this. Like, right now, what, what the United States is, is very belt hungry, trinket driven culture, right? And, uh, and, and you'll find, you know, a lot of people, they'll get their C class tournament, but, you know, maybe they'll have one fight or two fights total full contact they get their belt and then they're done you know as opposed to you know working up to something 
in Australia, in the UK, do amateurs fight for belts? Not really. Mm, no, like, there, there can be. There are certain states where we do have these issues. We're not immune from it. But, yeah, not like, I mean, I see, I see pictures of, you know, some amateur kids in the US with their arms out with like 20 belts on and quite frankly I'm like that's a little bit embarrassing well, you know, because it's it's not it's about as many belts as they have it's kind of like well it, uh, you know if you if, if you played if you came out with all of your peewee football medals or like <laughs> it, it's sort of you know that's it's that that's how what I see the equivalent of it all yeah. like this is my C grade runner up one and this is my <laughs> D grade like bragging of it's literally only because it is a belt right yeah and so it's the image of it being a belt and we are not immune to that by any means and I think it's just for me belts is and for, at the moment, it's obviously the WBC is the belt to have outside of it, when you when you look at like an international concept, you have some other bodies and what have you, but the WBC is the one to have, and you know that if you hold that belt, that you are you can consider yourself one of the definitely one of the better guys in whatever that division is or that whatever. Not you know I was the. Saturday evening Southern Idaho like <laughs> classic champion potato it's cake. just yeah it's I, I think that they definitely need to get away from that sure sure mm. I, uh, I agree and that's that's, uh, that's something I'm working on for sure yeah interesting interesting alright any other thoughts on on uh not really. I mean, yeah, not not to end on end on a negative note. I am very impressed by the rate of growth of USA Muay Thai mm-hmm. and watching USA Muay Thai. And for a long time, uh, American Muay Thai to us Aussies has very much been in the dark. We didn't consider it. Yeah, yeah. We have never. We don't. We've never considered America to be a strong Muay Thai country. Like it's exactly. Absolutely, but. Similarly, yeah. now that you see the rise of Australian Muay Thai, yeah. you have guys like Robert Whittaker, Volkanovski. He's mm-hmm. pound for pound one of the best guys in the UFC at the moment. He's yeah. an Aussie. Yeah, so yeah, as yeah. you see the rise of uh, Aussie MMA, you also see the rise of American Muay Thai. Right. And I have been impressed watching that growth and watching, especially with some of the things that you're doing, Pat, and I'd mentioned it to you, the participation level at 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 the junior level, the participation numbers, sorry, the junior level. And for me, I think I look at it as an Aussie and I go, shit, we better keep up with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we better keep up with that because we want to, you know, I want to be arrogantly proud and never lose to Americans. I don't want to, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to lose. I never want to lose to you guys. You know? That's, That's why lost... we're, we're never gets <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I kicked you to pieces. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, thighs were done. Yeah, okay, mate. Um, like, we... I, you know, I don't, I don't want to lose to Americans. I've lost there once. I don't want to do that again. But it's, it's, but I look at it and I think, wow, the participation and the rate of development is something that we have to keep an eye on. And we have to watch because it's, it is, it is quite impressive. It is quite impressive. But so long as I think some of the things that we've discussed, it's a very pivotal moment for American Muay Thai. Mm, I, I definitely agree with that. And for me, they're standing at a fork in the road and it could very easily go one yeah, of two I, ways. I totally agree and in that. 15 years, you could have huge participation levels, but everyone's tomato can for yeah, like, yeah. to use Matt's word. Or we look at in 15 years' time and you've got killers yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You've that, got that's goal. killers everywhere and it looks like Europe. It looks yeah. like when you look at Europe. But... But at the moment, you're standing at the crossroads, and I think some of the things that we've talked about in this are really going to be important as to, to driving the which which way you go. Yeah. Right. No, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a great point. 
I think everyone sees sees what's happening with the, with the youth participation. Anyway, you know, the whole kind of the thought on that was even if they didn't ascend to kind of like baseball, right? You go to little league, then you go to, uh, uh, t-ball and little league, and yeah. then, you know, high school, you know, JV high school, and then college, you know, MLB. Even if they don't get past little league. Uh, they understand the sport. They participated. They played. Absolutely. And now they're going to watch. They're going to pay those. You know, they're going to buy jerseys. They're going to pay. You know, Absolutely. Hundred dollar tickets to go watch a ball game. Absolutely. Know? I mean, a ball game, you know, a basketball game, game or, or a football game or, or baseball game. You know, with, with a family of five, you're spending two, three hundred dollars. Yeah. At least. Absolutely. Yeah, easily. When Absolutely. You buy food, beer, parking, blah 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 blah. And and bigger participation in gyms means more gyms, means more money for the gyms, yep. means more opportunities for people to make their passion and their life a livelihood, make a living from Muay Thai like you have. Yeah. I mean, it's only good. Yeah, how, many, how, how many Americans own their own jiu-jitsu gyms now, or whatever, sorry, I'm not sure what they say, schools. Yeah. Like, how many Americans own their own jiu-jitsu schools? And like, it creates just enormous it really grows the ecosystem, right? right? And I think there's a huge, yeah, big moments. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing too, it's, it's, it's hard because if, if there are all pieces, it's, it's easier to have all controlled within like like one system. So mm. that there's, a, there's, an, there's a clear path, there's a clear ascension in which direction to go. Kind of like you talked about the fork, but if everyone's kind of doing all these different things, then People are going to go all over different places, so I think it's just easier to build, you know, yeah. that infrastructure to kind of direct everybody. But here's where the next step. This is what you do next. This is what you do. This is what you do. And, yeah. and, and that's what we're that's what we're hoping to do. That's what we're hoping to do within the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty years plus plus. So awesome. Yeah. Sounds good. Any last parting words? No, I'm excited for the future of the sport in Australia and then internationally. Like I think. You know, things like this are very good for the sport. You know, I'm starting to know more Australians, and I feel like because of that, more Australians are starting to learn more about American Muay Thai. You know, so it's good. I think there's a bright future ahead for the sport. Excellent. Mm. Very good. At Matt Lucas Muay Thai. Yeah. At, <laughs> yeah, at Valor MT. Yeah. At Kira Moyu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Uh, thank you, Karen. Thank you. Pleasure. Appreciate thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you very you. much. Uh, a lot of big things popping, so uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, we're, we're, um, we're looking to do big things within the next year and uh, moving everything moving forward, 2023 and beyond. Muay Thai all the way. Swadika. USA. <laughs> <laughs>